Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another great episode of the Uncharted Podcast. I have my good friend, Max. Max, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you. Max, we'd like to kick it off with a quick personal business bio. So give us some context on who Max is. Yeah, I started my career at a company called Udemy, which IPO'd last year on the education marketplace, built the sales and supply side of that through their C day and B rounds of funding. Parlayed that into starting a media company called Sales Hacker. Actually started the Saster Annual events with Jason Lemkin while I was running Sales Hacker. He was a speaker. Actually, he was in the meetups before we ever had a company. We would do these little meetups and, and Jason spoke at a couple of those events and he would attend and, and liked all the kind of geeking out we did on, on SaaS sales and B2B sales. I spoke at my first conference and then ended up doing the Saster Annual with him for the first two years of that. Ran uh, Sales Hacker on its own for five years, screwed about 170,000 subscribers, was acquired in 2018 by Outreach, ran marketing for about two years there. and. Uh, a couple of the leadership positions over the following two years. I did four years total at Outreach. I started the GTM fund in 2020. We got to fund about 250 go-to-market leaders, VPC level sales marketing, customer success leaders from all across B2B SaaS, Snowflake, DocuSign, ZoomInfo, Okta, Datadog, Salesforce, you name it, GTM leaders. And we invest in early stage B2B SaaS companies. Yeah, I wrote three books, Hacking Sales, Career Hacking, and Sales Engagement. And I think we'll talk a little bit about sales engagement today, but that's the, the quick bio. The question I should have asked is, what have you not done? But- all those accomplishments. But one of the reasons I asked Max to come on the show, and him and I were talking about this, is one of the things I've admired about Max is his ability. He calls it leverage. I call it win-wins, meaning he's able to create these partnerships where he adds value, the other person gets value, and they add something in return. And that, to me, is literally the definition of what a relationship capital should be, right? Where do you get that from? Because like, I think for as long as I've known you, you've had that in you. So give us some context where that comes from, why you think it's important, what your philosophy around. Definitely. I think you know, probably two, two things. One, my father is a financial advisor, always worked for himself and always taught me the value of relationships and kind of like business karma, you know, make, making sure you're a long-term thinker, not super short-sighted. And you know, it's okay to leave stuff on the table now in, in order to recoup that you know, at a later point. So I always want to make sure you're in win-win situations or win-win-win situations where you know, you're not a taker or not become known as a taker. I think for me, Retirement is not something that I ever really want to plan for in terms of like, oh, I just want to make a lot of money and then not work any. I like what I do. I tried that last summer on our second paternity leave. I spaced them out and I, I took off some time in the summer and I tried to be retired and that, that didn't work. I'm just too antsy. I, I like, I like generally like what I do. So when you have a long term view on things, it gets tough to be short term greedy, you know? And so you have to come up with these kind of win win situations or win 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 situations. I think the second thing is when I was a kid, my babysitter was the TV and I just watched Sports Center on repeat or you know, whatever sporting stuff was on. And I think I learned a lot from some of those things, but I like to think of myself as like a, a general manager. And I think like one day I could be a good general manager or owner of a sports team, but you know, finding ways, looking for angles and finding ways to you know, create those, what you call like a three-team trade or something like that. Like where do these pieces match up so that everybody gets what they need to be better? And in some cases, like what I have is more valuable to somebody else than it is to me, or I have something that's more valuable to someone else than it is to another person. And we're all trying to get different things here. And we can figure out how those puzzle pieces you know, match up to make sure we all get what we want. And that's fun. There's a lot of creativity in business that I get to, to flex. It's not all you know, math, Excel spreadsheets, you know, ones and zeros. And it's not all you know, suits and ties and, and boardrooms. This is, this is fun. This is creative. You get to be an artist in that, in that sense. So you know, I, really, I really enjoy putting those things together and, and figuring out you know, how to make those kind of win-win-win situations happen. And it's probably why I had career in media where we got to do sponsorships as like a, you know our, our big winner because it's you know very creative sell. And then even now for the fund, it just feels like a really creative business and, and like we're able to build relationships and there's a lot of money floating around those relationships, but we feel like we can we're almost creating these you know opportunities where you're investing in us, you're coming into a community and then we're also 
now providing capital to another company for them to grow, but then we reap the upside of it. So it almost works in like the same way as like some of the stuff I was doing earlier in my career. So you nailed the philosophy and how that ties to your platform. I love the full circle. But as you were talking, the thing I was actually the most impressed with is self-awareness. Like as soon as you nailed it, I'm like, wow, he's thought about this. He's thought about his strengths. He's, he's thought about what he's good at, what he wants to do. I'm assuming you've had to do that through therapy or just on your own, whatever the thing is. And sometimes I think that is so important. People try being put in positions that they might not be strong for and they hate it. If someone's listening to this and maybe they're younger in their career and they're confused because everyone's confused nowadays, what's helped you that you think can be transferable for them? Yeah. Removing the ego, I think is, is the biggest thing. So, you know, a lot of people want to go and, and start a company right off the bat and they don't want to go see how the sausage is made or work for somebody else for a little while. And so they, they end up trying to start something, trying to start something, trying to start something that doesn't work. Or, you know, I've seen so many people that have done you know, one to three years in a role. And now they think they should be a VP somewhere. So then they join an early stage company and they go be a VP of sales, but you're not a VP of sales yet. So you're doing that for an ego. And that sets you back you know, two or three years because you're wasting time when you could have been gaining valuable experience. So, you know, it's one of those things like somebody offers you a seat on a rocket ship, get on anywhere you can. Well, you have to have the awareness and the, the presence of mind to know that you're putting in your dues. And one of the, the, you know, my mantras and it's in career hacking and it's been, you know, I don't know where I picked it up, but it's been attributed often, you know, to me around things is 20s are for learning, 30s are for earning. And if you think about it that way, and you're, you know, long-term thinker about your career, you'll lose a lot of that ego trying to rush to where you're trying to go. I want to be a founder of a company because I want to put my face in TechCrunch and be Forbes 30 under 30 and all that kind of stuff. Like none of that matters. Go get experience first and earn it. Like you'll, you'll get there eventually, but get that experience first. And I, you know, I'm not an engineer. I don't know how to program or, or you know, build technology. So I have to get in where I fit in, you know, as often as I can. And in, at Udemy, I, I kind of was like, I, I got to get in here. This is going to be a rocket ship. I'll take any job and I'll go, you know, crush it as long as I can play to my strengths. And then, you know, even the rest of my career, media company, VC firm, which is now a platform, which has media and community, I'm playing to my strengths. I don't have to build technology. I don't have to know about product. I don't have to do any of those things. And I think, you know, that's an important thing is doubling down on your strengths, you know, over time, over getting those repetitions, you'll start to understand what your strengths are. And then once you understand what those strengths are, double down on your strengths. Don't waste time trying to round out your weaknesses too much. And so, yeah, I go to therapy. I love it. I think there are weaknesses there that I definitely need to, to overcome and things like that. But when it comes to the workforce, you're going to get much more juice out of doubling down on your strengths and getting better at the things you're already good at that are your superpowers than you are trying to round out. And when, when you talk about this, sometimes we get picked or we get, we get put in positions where you're like, all right, I, I can't believe I'm in this position. Maybe I'm not playing to my strengths. So you're kind of forced. And I'll give this as an, as an example. Maybe it's stupid. But from my understanding, when you join Outreach, you never knew you were going to be the VP of marketing. At least it was one way or another a surprise, right? And maybe that played to your strengths. Maybe that did not play to your strengths. What do you do in those scenarios where like, it's not maybe your deliberate 100% choice to go into a role, you get what I'm saying? You have less liberty and you just got to make, what do you do in those, in those situations? Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure how much leash I had to kind of trial by fire, like learn on the job. So there's a lot of things that I had to learn and learn. You know, outreach was, was hopeful enough to have an advisor. I had at least a Fink who was a CMO at Tableau from like zero to 1.2 billion in ARR. So she knows her way around. So I was able to get her on the phone a lot and kind of stress test things and run things by her. We had some other advisors I was able to talk to. I had a network of, of friends who were also CMOs at like complimentary or non-competitive vendors that I was able to talk to quite often. I got myself a coach. It was one of the first things I did. I thought like 360 reviews were, were super helpful. So that's where the coach will actually get on the phone with people below you, above you, and at the same level as you and interview them as if, how's Max doing in these areas? What can he get better at? And then she'll collate all that. And then you'll work on those things based on you know what was said across those interviews instead of just being like, you know, meeting with HR and saying like, hey, you need to be doing this better to manage down or this better to manage up. And I thought that was really helpful. The second thing is uh, being a student of the game. I think I, I just studied a lot of what was working at other companies. And that's that's a lot of what marketing is, is like stealing stuff and tailoring it to, you know, what you're doing. So, you know, we 
we had some interesting things we did at Sales Hacker that I thought were very creative and we were a media company. So like we kind of bolted on the media company onto outreach. So we created our ecosystem of vendors who built around the outreach platform and branded us as kind of like the center of that universe, the outreach galaxy. And then when like we were at our conference, we were able to to bring all those sponsors and vendors and put them out on the show floor and say like, hey, if you're using Drift, you should also be using Outreach. If you're using Outreach, you should also be using Drift. And so like we kind of created this partnership ecosystem and community around the company that not a lot of people were doing at the time. And we turned our conference quickly into more like an expo trade show style thing than a customer conference. And when you do that, you kind of cross the chasm of like little scrappy, small startup. Hey, this is like an established Salesforce-esque type, type company, even though we weren't yet. The budget didn't reflect that. We also, obviously from our media backgrounds, knew how to do these things for a lot less money. So we were able to throw you know, events of all scale while like either not burning a lot of cash or making money off them. Sales hackers still ran at a profit. So we had this deal with outreach where like whatever sales hacker makes, it gets to keep and run the business out of. So we did, you know, we did a couple of things like that. I mean, we we did the the trade for the sales engagement domain and and did like the category creation model off of that. And you know, there was a a consultant that owned and was like squatting on the domain and not doing anything with it. And I found out his information, looked him up, found that he was a sales consultant and just pinged him and said, Hey, I don't have a lot of money, but I've got an asset in sales hacker and I'll trade you like two webinars on sales hacker, which are worth, we were charging sponsors 10 K a piece of time worth 20 grand for the domain and like two grand. So for like 22 K he got, you know, he, he gave us the domain, but it didn't cost us 22 K. Like it wasn't like remnant inventory. It wasn't, it wasn't inventory that if we gave it to him, we couldn't sell it to somebody else. So we're able to kind of just manufacture those opportunities. So we were able to, to, to take a couple of things to market really early on in my tenure there that I think like part of it was best practices and like SaaS marketing type stuff that we were able to, to, to learn from other people and, and do quickly. And part of it was just like our scrappiness coming from Sales Hacker. And I think, I mean, at last, but certainly not least, we were able to hire some incredibly talented people. And I was left with some incredibly, incredibly talented people from the previous VP of marketing. So definitely couldn't have done any of this stuff without them. And I mean, I just remember that we drove home from Semiyama, which was where our offsite was that year. And we basically came up with like the whole the whole outreach galaxy keynote at the conference because like the product team wasn't ready with the product we wanted to release in time for the conference. So like we had to make something up basically. So it was a great lesson in product marketing. And uh, you know, there were just countless other things that we did that at the time, hair on fire, but looking back on it, that's that's what we do it for. Like those are the most fun time. You you gotta enjoy the journey. As I as I'm interviewing Max, he's just smiling as he's reflecting on this. So you got that's that's half the battle, right? You gotta enjoy the journey. We'll be right back after a quick advertisement. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, Assessment, and Virtual Interviews. And talking about virtual interviews, your candidates are busy, at least the quality ones are. So don't make candidates jump through hoops. Indeed's virtual interview tool means there's nothing to download, just click and talk. Indeed makes it easy for you to connect with applicants. No need to install anything extra. Indeed's virtual interview tool works from any browser. Indeed saves you headaches. Interview virtually with no plugins, no purchases, no nothing, all in one place with Indeed. Indeed knows when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit indeed.com slash scale to start hiring now. Just go to indeed.com slash scale. That's indeed.com slash scale. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For some of the founders that you are advising, you've invested in that are like freaking out, right? What What's your advice? What's your top advice? And I know that's a general thing, but if there are, some of them are going through concerns and, and rightly so, what are what are you guys from like a go-to-market advising platform, whatever, what, what are you telling them to do? I think, you know, the first thing from a facts and figures standpoint is to, to control your own destiny as much as possible. So lower your burn. And, 
you know, be a little ruthless about the budget and, and you know, do only what's necessary. If you can raise money, raise more than you thought you were going to need. But ultimately, you know, that's, that's first and foremost. If you are spending like crazy and out of control and running out of cash, you don't own your own destiny. And you are either going to have to get you know, capital in a way that is going to hurt you in the future or risk not being able to get it all and have to shut down or, or you know, liquidate and whatnot. So I think that, that's first and foremost, just do what you can to own your own destiny. Secondly, you're going to play into it. Play into the play into the the market. Play into the narrative. You know, some of it's a a lesson in product marketing. Some of it's things that you need to do with your product. But what are some things you can do to to adjust to the narrative that's playing in the marketplace right now? So that could be the efficiency narrative, where you know they need to find a way to make more money using your product that will allow them to conserve money somewhere else. So, for example, like when we were we were doing case studies at Outreach, we had a pilot group using Outreach, and we had a control group that wasn't. All things, everything else considered equal, pilot group ended up generating 21% more pipeline. So if you take that and you say, okay, well, you know, now that people are trying to pull back on spending, if you've got a hundred people in your sales force and they're generating 21% more pipeline with outreach, that's like 21 less heads that you need to hire to generate the same amount of pipeline. And you're talking about 21 heads, it's, you know, let's let's call it hundred thousand dollars a person, that's 2.1 million per year. And an outreach license for that many people, you know, I don't know what that costs right now, but let's call it low hundreds of thousands. So like there's a pretty big delta there of savings that you'll get for the amount of pipeline produced. So what are you doing in your product to to you know create that narrative? How are you how are you you know playing the efficiency model instead of the growth model? Because that's what the markets care about now, right? Other thing is, you know, that's the product marketing side of things, the sales side of things. What about from product standpoint? Are there things you can go build easily or pick up to consolidate the market so that you can now essentially say in sales processes that there's no reason to buy any other products because you do it all. So you see outreach, you see Zoom Info, you see a couple other companies, at least in the revenue tech space area that I'm most familiar with, saying like, hey, platform consolidation, you don't need all these point solutions, you can get it all here. And oh, by the way, instead of paying each vendor, five vendors, $200,000 each, you can pay us $350 and get it all, right? It might not be 100% of the way there, but you'll get 80% of the value and you'll pay you know, 35% of what you were paying right now. So that's like another way to approach the market. So this this stuff you can do from a product side, product marketing side, it depends where you're at in your business. Customer development, obviously key now more than ever. You really have to make sure you're building something that people need. Yeah, so need to have, not nice to have. And again, that that shows in kind of product marketing products as well. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Nailed it. And very actionable as well as uh, using some of the examples from your, your Max experience. Before we say our goodbyes, the one question we love asking, if younger Max could go back to any time, this could be before you start Sales Hacker, maybe before you enjoyed, joined the, the Turks at Udemy. What, what's one piece of advice you would give your younger self, Max? Ha! Buy Bitcoin, sell it, buy Solana, and then retire. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as that, right? I, if we're if we're being 100% honest, then that would be probably the easiest thing for me to do or tell my past self. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think be patient is definitely is definitely the thing. And I think it's always summed up in the 20s or for learning, 30s or for, for earning thing. I think if I had been greedy in my 20s and tried to, to, to squeeze out every dollar I could have earned, I'd be in a, in a much worse off position than I am right now at 35. And so, you know, I was, I was patient. I always played the long game. Dollars came in. I bet those on dollars later. And so... I think I lived a, a decent enough lifestyle, but I kept doubling down on the future. And I think, you know, those have paid off. I was early in outreach, early in Gong, early in Carbon Health, and a couple other companies that multi-coin, a couple other things, even, you know, some of the crypto stuff. And, uh, you know, I think that patience and that long-term thinking, you know, put me in a position I'm in today. And I think if I were more short-term greedy and, and spent the money on other stupid things that, you know, I just, I wouldn't be in as, as much of an advantageous position right now. So you know, patience is key and it's always hard to have, but you got to figure it out. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, for everybody, thanks for joining us. We will put Max's contact information, LinkedIn, Twitter, all of that good stuff in the, in the show notes. Reach out. Thank you for coming on the show. Until next time, be safe, be well. And Max, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. 
Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, Assessment, and Virtual Interviews. And talking about virtual interviews, your candidates are busy, at least the quality ones are. So don't make candidates jump through hoops. Indeed's virtual interview tool means there's nothing to download, just click and talk. Indeed makes it easy for you to connect with applicants. No need to install anything extra. Indeed's virtual interview tool works from any browser. Indeed saves you headaches. Interview virtually with no plugins, no purchases, no nothing, all in one place with Indeed. Indeed knows when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit indeed.com scale to start hiring now. Just go to indeed.com scale. That's indeed.com scale. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 